This is the Horse Radio Network. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor. From Equestrian Businesswomen, and you're listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we are speaking to Lisa Eklund about her business, The Mindful Equestrian. We will explore what it means to be mindful, how it relates to equestrian businesses, and ways to start practicing. Lisa Eklund is an equestrian performance coach and trainer and a business coach and consultant in her business. Her personal journey and passion for mindfulness and self-awareness has led her to develop a unique style of coaching, consulting, teaching, and training. Her 40 years of experience and training in the equine industry include training hunters and jumpers at both the local and national level at Asbury Hill Farm and Littlebrook Farm in Ithaca, New York with Gary Duffy, and as a freelance trainer and instructor. Lisa's experience also includes a year as a head coach of the Cornell University Women's Varsity Equestrian Team and 18 years as a professor in the SUNY Morrisville Equine Science and Management Program, developing and running the Hunt Seat Riding Program, as well as coaching the IHSA Hunt Seat Varsity Equestrian Team. Lisa retired in 2016 from Morrisville and started her business, The Mindful Equestrian. Lisa's business experience both as an entrepreneur and coach slash trainer for the Wise Women's Business Center in Syracuse, New York, combined with her training and certification, the Certified Professional Coach CPC from the International Coach Academy, gives her a strong foundation in both training, teaching, consulting, and coaching. Lisa is someone who thrives on creating a vision, starting things, and putting her all in to get them going so others can carry them forward. That is why coaching is so appealing to her. This is a spirit that she brings to her business. Lisa brings her mindfulness training to help clients learn to pause, be more present, and connect to their inner selves, giving them permission to make change. Lisa offers clinics, one-on-one coaching, group coaching, workshops, and speaking opportunities. She is now developing a membership program called The Unleashed Equestrian that will launch in early summer 2022. The Saratoga Women in Business Spectacular is the first ever horse show created by women, operated by women, benefiting women's health, and showcasing women in business. This one-of-a-kind, extraordinary event is one you will not want to miss and is open to all competitors, both men and women, in the equestrian community. The Saratoga WIB Spectacular Horse Show is a USEF A-rated jumper three-star competition from July 13th through 17th, 2022 in Stillwater, New York. The Saratoga WIB Spectacular will partner and collaborate with equestrian businesswomen on this initiative. Exhibitors and attendees will be offered educational opportunities throughout the show and beyond to meet, interact, listen, and learn from a variety of remarkable women willing to share information about their careers and the paths they chose. For information on how to support Saratoga WIB Spectacular, visit www.saratogahorseshows.com. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Lisa. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's been, I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, I, I'm really passionate about mindfulness and, and kind of um, going on my own journey. So I really am excited to hear what you have to say about, you know, mindfulness and relating it to the equestrian industry, because I feel like that's something where I might have trouble with. I've been able to implement it a lot in my other parts of my life, but sometimes things are so automatic in my riding and so automatic in what I do with horses. It's so ingrained in me that stepping outside and being mindful of things is is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think, you know, as equestrians, we, we've, um, we work very hard at doing very well and being, uh, trying to be perfect at what we do, you know, and trying to do our best. And that whole mindset can get in the way of, of, you know, 
getting caught up in worrying about making mistakes and all those things. And it's really hard to get away from that mm -hmm. and just be present and be comfortable with making mistakes and learning from them and, and all that. So yeah, I think it's, it, it's a huge thing. And then certainly in, in riding, the whole muscle memory thing. I mean, it's ingrained. We have habits and then we get upset because we can't change them, but they're really just wired in. Um, yeah. And so we have to be very conscious to, to change that. And that's what I, a lot of what I do when I work with, with riders. So and I, can we start out by talking about what mindfulness is for people who might not actually know what it is to be mindful? Yeah, well, mindfulness is a practice that's about 2,500 years old, and it um, started in, you know, in, a, in the Buddhist tradition. So it started as a spiritual practice, and then it was brought to the Western world um, through people like Thich, Thich Nhat Hanh and, and John Kabat-Zinn. And it's now become, you know, some people do it in the Western world as a spiritual practice, but many do it as a practice um, for, you know, mindset and, and being present. And, and, and maybe in a way it's a spiritual practice for them, but it doesn't have a religious, you know, component to it. But um, so what it is, it's really about being, getting yourself present and getting yourself, it's not stopping thinking or clearing your mind of thoughts. It's, it's quieting your mind and, um, becoming present and doing it without judgment. And it's becoming present and doing it without judgment, even when things aren't so good. So when life isn't so good, it's sitting with that and being present with it. And so that you can work, you know, then kind of your brain kind of can get online and be working in the present and you can work through difficult situations more calmly and less reactively. So it's it's very much important to do it without judgment so that say when you're riding and you're really frustrated with yourself or something to just say, it's okay. My brain's working that way. What can I do to change it? So, um, so it really helps, you know, being comfortable in your body, making you present in your body. Um, and again, that whole thing around not, not being judgmental with yourself and being, um, they talk about, you know, being kind to yourself. So loving kindness is a practice and mindfulness about just being kind to yourself and not judgmental and then working through struggles. And, and when you have people who don't know anything about being mindful, haven't heard of those practices, is there a place that you start with them to get them familiar with it? Well, it depends on what I'm doing. Like if I'm in a short, you know, clinic riding session, I, I talk, you know, I try to just say, talk to them about about being, you know, just let's today not be judgmental. I will do with them um, something I call, is it called a body scan. That's a meditation. Um, but I used it in writing to kind of have them scan through their whole body and I'll talk them through their whole body. And it helps them to become very present and then has start having awareness. So mindfulness is also about developing awareness about what's going on in you and, and an awareness about, you know, your, your thoughts, your body, your emotions. So it gets them more present and aware. So I'll do that in a shorter situation and kind of share with them how mindfulness has, has helped me and how I use it. So it kind of helps them, you know, it sounds more real if I can share like real things. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it, the, the body scan, when I do it, I use it at night and it helps me go to sleep at night. And when I wake up, it helps me not worry because I can just use that and go back to sleep. <clears throat> um, so in that situation, now when I when I teach like a program or longer thing, I really work on them uh, developing awareness, um, you know, it's certain steps about, you know, developing awareness and then working with what's going on and then like changing if they want to change habits or whatever, setting up a plan and in, in, in a way to change their habits. But the first part of it is really becoming aware, self-aware of what's going on with your emotions and, and your habits. Yeah, I think... Probably when you do those short sessions, how much change do you see when when people are in a short session? Do you see significant progress? It's, there's some real aha moments. Um, mm -hmm. I actually did last uh, on the 10th. Um, a new thing that I'm doing with a, another uh, a colleague who is a uh, does massage and yoga and is also an equestrian. And we did a, a mind body, uh, realigning your mind and body. And I did the body scan very long and really, really got into it. And it was quite amazing. And what happens is people will think, oh, I have a problem with my shoulder. They'll do the body scan and then they'll notice a place in their body that's maybe even tighter and stuff. And then they 
we, you know, so in this thing, in this one, they went and had some massages and yoga and came back and they dealt with these other areas that they weren't really aware of because they're so caught up in one area or they're co so caught up in other things. And maybe the shoulder problem went away because it was something in their hips that they realigned and, and things straightened up. So there's some real aha moments. And, and also, you know, I work with riders being very present um, with their horse and paying attention to what's going on with their horse and getting out of their heads about themselves. So that can really, all of a sudden people are like, Whoa, I didn't realize my horse was crooked this way. And I, you know, and I worked on straightening them and I didn't have to overthink my position. I just kind of made it happen. So it's, it's a, it really does help them become less busy in their heads trying to fix all these little things that they're always trying to fix. So what would you say are some of the, the challenges to getting people to become more mindful? Well, they'll have these aha moments and, you know, be really excited. But like with many things we do, that's great. And then we don't practice it. So it's <laughs> kind of saying, okay, I now I have to practice this. And then maybe some days it doesn't, you know, the aha moment doesn't occur again right away or in the same way. So they get discouraged and give up or or don't think like if mindfulness, you know, like say through doing a little meditation or doing bring mindfulness into their daily lives. Um, they don't think they have time for it where really you can fit it into, you know, you're driving to work and you can just say, I'm going to be more mindful of noticing, you know, what's around me as I'm driving instead of being in my head or while you're brushing your teeth in the morning, you know, you can bring mindfulness to lots of things during the day and not even have to have a formal meditation practice. So sometimes people get caught up in it being too formal and too rigid and have struggle with, with, with practicing it. Um, do you find that these practices can apply to people in business as well and in, oh, in their work life? Yes. I mean, well, and, and actually, yeah. Um, very much so. And, and what's fun about when I, like I get a lot of fun of teaching in the riding and I also do coaching in business, but working with the riding, people will realize that they bring this to the other parts of their lives because mm -hmm. generally if they have different, you know, limiting beliefs or thoughts and things that get in their head, um, I'm not good enough. You know, that has this big, big business thing, you know, people mm -hmm. are judging me. What are people thinking of me? I need to be like, you know, be perfect, you know, um, all of those things, if we have those beliefs, they happen in all areas of our lives. So yes, mindfulness is, helps, and it helps me in my business. It helped me today. I can be quite honest and say that before I did the po the podcast, I was nervous. And talking in front of people um, used to make me really nervous. It doesn't so much anymore. And so my mindfulness practice helped me with that because the whole imposter syndrome, oh my goodness, mm -hmm. am I, I'm doing this, what are people gonna think? Um, so I just kind of was like, okay, stop worrying about it. Go meditate, go do something else. I did mm -hmm. some work and everything, everything calmed down. So yes, it really can help. I was listening to a podcast yesterday and, um, they were kind of talking about a similar topic and, uh, the expert on that show said, you know, mindfulness looks different to different people and what they need and, and what they do, you know, for some people it's meditation for some people it's stretching for other people it's yoga or, you know, there's, there's different ways and different, different um, activities that you can use to practice mindfulness. And um, what are some exercises that, that you talk about with people? Well, and, and I, yes, I agree. And that's why, you know, it really has to be something that fits into your life comfortably, you know? Mm -hmm. So and some people are, have a hard time sitting down and meditating, though that can, you know, can be done. You just need to do it in small bites and take time. So that's one thing. It might be just sitting down and doing a breathing exercise, like with your breath for a minute and just being mm -hmm. using that as I'm nervous. I'm, I'm at my desk or I'm stressed out. I'm stuck trying to, you know, do some project or whatever to just take a moment and breathe and just bring yourself back to the present. And really what mindful practices are, are finding anchors that bring us back to the present. So when I talked about the body scan, and you can do that when you're sitting in your chair at work, it brings you back to the present. It brings you into your body and out of your head. And mm -hmm. so the breath work can do that. I have surrounding me <clears throat> tons of plants 
and all over my house and I do a garden. And that's really um, when I would, again, when, earlier when I was getting a little stressed out and had a lot of stuff going on, I just stop and I look at them and I look out at my view and I watch nature and it brings me back to now and out of my head. And I do that going for walks. So you can, mm -hmm. you can you know, get out in nature. That's a great way to go for a walk and take out your earbuds and mm -hmm. listen to the bird like this time here. Oh my goodness. The birds and the peepers and the, all the, you know, um, you know, notice the colors, notice the change of seasons, whatever. So there's lots of different ways you can do it. People do it through exercise. Um, if you're present, sometimes people can get caught up in their head trying to be perfect exercising too, but you know, <laughs> you know and riding is, you know, um, I, I talk to, to people with riding, like when, be, when they groom their horse, just be mindful of grooming. Mm -hmm. That might be a meditation practice for them. Yeah, right. I don't have a lot of time, but I can do it at you know grooming. Yeah, so there's lots of different ways. Yeah, one one of my favorite things to do is um, pick a color and see how many times that that color shows up. And I do it a lot when I'm driving, so that I'm like refocused on you know I'm not getting in my head and thinking about all these horrible things or what's going on or what's next or you know and so I'll pick a color and you know sometimes it's an easy color and sometimes it's like you know teal and you would you you can't believe how many times you'll see teal if that's the color that you pick it shows <laughs> up like it's not something that's everywhere but then all of a sudden you're like oh wait there it is there it is there it is so and, yeah it's a, that's a great activity and actually yeah. I, I laugh because I um love hawks and I love red-tailed hawks. I like birds of prey in general. And when I drive, I see them all the time. And I say they're like my totem. They're there when I need them. But yet it's exactly what you said. I am paying attention. And it's not mm -hmm. like I'm staring and not paying attention to the road, but I, I'm probably paying more attention to the road than when I'm in my head all over the place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But my yeah. eyes are soft and open mm -hmm. so that I'm just noticing. So it sounds like the same thing, you know, that you're yeah. doing. That's really cool. Yeah. I also like, um, one of the things that I like to look for to are foxes because I, I just they're so beautiful and you they're rare and you don't see them. So whenever I'm like, okay, I need to know if I'm aligned with the universe, I need to know if I'm heading in the right direction, like show me a fox or, you know, let me see a fox somewhere. And, you know, a lot of times it it does come, you know, you yep. can do it with numbers too, right? Like uh, I have a number and if I'm aligned with the universe, that number starts popping up everywhere. So I know that I'm headed in the right direction. I'm being present with, yes. you know, where I'm at. Where you're at. Yeah. 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 No, that's really cool. And that's why yeah. I feel like the red tailed, tailed hawks show up for me, but yet again, it's because I'm paying attention. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. always there. It's just whether or not you see them. Yes, 100, exactly. 100%. Yeah, they, it's not yeah. like they happen to be there for me and they're not there for everybody else, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. It's the you same know. thing with the colors. And I actually have shared that practice that I do with a couple of people. And um, one of them was my mother who was like, wow, it's amazing. Like the number of purple cars you can see if you're actually looking for them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. And it is, you know, it's, I'll have to remember that one to share with people because it is a great way. I, and when I in, introduce it to to people, I will say, take a day and just spend a day noticing when you're present and when you're not too. Yeah. Like I think that's the, the hard part. Uh-huh. The hard when part to you, even notice it. To yeah. even notice it. Yeah. Because yeah. I think people get so caught up in what they're doing and all their to-do list and everything they have to get accomplished. And, you know, I have work and taking care of the house and taking care of the kids and the animals. And it's really hard to notice like when you're spinning and when you need to come back to yourself. Well, yeah. and, and that's really true, you know, like in, in business, you know, when you can mm -hmm. just get going, 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 doing, doing, doing. And that's when I, and I, that's when my creative juices like stop. And like, I, you know, yeah. for my business, I try to do blogs and, and, you know, regular social media and all that. And I'm creating a new membership program and you can get like trying to think all these things, doing all this stuff and your just head just gets crazy. Yeah. And so then I just, that's when I'll go out for a walk, you know? Um, and that's when I'll, um, you know, maybe just take a break and just write in a journal, just do some free form writing or something. And then my mind comes down and boom, you know, um, I get creative and that's what happens if you, if like people think about, Oh man, I stopped I'm in the shower. All of a sudden I had this great idea right? <laughs> because we're more present. Right. Yeah. And they just pop into your head. Yeah. 
So that's really mm-hmm. how it can help in business. Yeah, right. definitely can help in business too. Can we talk a little bit about habits? You kind of mentioned it, touched on it earlier and you know how the brain works and, and how habits affect us, right? And that we're constantly like doing things out of habit and how to like bring mindfulness back. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about, I'll talk a little bit about the brain understanding that I'm not a neuroscientist, but this is, you know, but it's, it's a good lay person. Um, It's the brain is wired to keep us safe and to, and to help us survive. And it's always looking for danger and it was wired that way back in our ancestors' days when danger was around them all the time and they needed to go out and find food regularly and all the, you know, th- different, do different things to survive. We still have that wiring, but yet we don't all, you know, have those needs or have those dangers around us like then. But we do have a lot of stuff happening in our world today, you know, through and bombarded with stuff on social media and distractions. And that. so we create a lot of habits that are unlike the habits that were created. You know, I, I need to find, you know, the, the brain has a reward center and it's back, you know, in the day that find food. Oh, okay. That's where you found that food. I got to remember that. Go back to that place. That's where to find that food. That food was good. You know, oh, that's the dangerous place. Don't go there again. Or that animal is dangerous, whatever. Um, so that's all wired in there. But it was all to physical needs, physical dangers and stuff. Now we use and create these habits around emotional needs, you know, and what we kind of create in our heads as emotional dangers and, you know, our thoughts and stuff that get busy and our distractions, through, like I said, through social media and all those habits that we we can get. Um, the, the cool thing about the brain is it can be rewired. Neuroscience has found in the last, I think, 30 years or so that these belie- these habits and these beliefs that we've created are not us. They are just wired in thing, you know, neuropathways that shoot to a certain way. And it's all done. The brain automates it subconsciously. So it, we aren't even thinking about it. Once we get into a habit, say it's, um, you know, I'm stressed out and I get up and I go find some chocolate and I eat chocolate. And it's really good maybe the first time. And then it starts becoming, maybe you do it so much that it's not so good, but it's so wired in now. The brain, that reward system is hooked up to the initial reward and you just keep keep doing it, you know, and it becomes a, it's a habit. So um, it's automated in the back of our, in our, in our brain. And it's, it just happens before we're even thinking about it. And then, you know, we get in, then we can start thinking about it and just get really judgmental about it and beat ourselves up for it. So that starts other stories and habits and all that, you know, the, the beating up ourselves for doing it habit. So the nice thing with the neuroscience is that they found now that you can rewire, but that's where mindfulness can come in and help, you know, really, um, change the habit and that's through the awareness of noting the habit and one of my favorite people to follow around this is dr judson brewer and he has a um he has a couple books uh, one called uh, unwinding anxiety and he does a lot of research around habits he also has a great ted talk and he does a lot of research around habits and he's a neuroscientist and a psychiatrist and a mindfulness practitioner and he does around research around habits and using mindfulness to to change them. And and I use a lot now, you know, his process of he talks about doing in, in like three gears. That first gear is just awareness of the habit and noting the habit and, and kind of mapping it out. Like when does it happen? How do I feel? Being very big building on being really curious about it without judgment. Hmm, you know. Gosh, I notice when I get stressed out, I immediately get up and want to go to food and go to get chocolate. And I feel this tension and maybe a feeling in my stomach or whatever you may feel and really noting that and just being curious. Um, and then the second gear is <clears throat> the idea of, okay, now that you're noting this habit and you've mapped it out, getting deeper into the, the 
what you get from it. Like that, ooh, you know, after I ate chocolate and did it like six times, now I have a stomach ache and I don't feel good. And I woke up the next morning feeling yucky and I've gained weight and all that stuff. And noticing that, and that's where when you can connect to that, you start connecting to the brain's reward center and the brain doesn't see it as so good anymore as it initially was, like when you first used to eat it and it was like, oh, this makes me feel better. And then the third gear is, he calls like kind of finding that bigger, better offer. What is it that I can do that will make my brain, you know, will be a bigger reward? Like maybe get up and take a walk when I'm stressed out or, or something like that, replacing it with something more positive. And it takes time and practice, but over time the brain can really rewire so that when, you know, habits work on a loop, you know, you get the trigger, um, the the craving and then the behavior and then the result. It doesn't necessarily is a work. It can be a reward or not, depending upon whether you like it or not. So you can rewire that so that the behavior is different. The trigger is the same. The behavior is different. You have the stress, but I go out for the walk. Now I feel better. I I don't have that feeling of eating all this chocolate and I can get back to doing whatever I want to do. So that's kind of how you can break the loop of what, what really works, you know, for me and me helping clients. Um, and really the biggest thing is developing curiosity, um, letting go of that self-judgment when it's happening and just being kind to yourself um, through the process. So I, I highly recommend reading his book and, and, and learning more about him because he really has some, some cool um research and does some really neat things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think that um, habits, it, it's such a hard thing because you're right, there's a trigger. And then, then we do something that gives us a reward. And then we, if it's like bad and unhealthy or we don't like it, then we beat ourselves up on it, about it. And then we feel bad. So then it causes like more stress and a trigger. And it's like this circle of going around and around. It is. So it's maybe multiple, yeah. you map out multiple habit loops like yeah, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, kind of breaking them down. And it's also working on doing them simply. So not mm -hmm. thinking, oh, I'm going to fix this all quickly. But let me just do a little bit. Let me, you know, say it's around anxiety, and I get anxious. Well, let me do something where I get creates anxiety, but it's not a big thing, you know, and work with it in a smaller way. You know, maybe I get, you know, a little anxious, um, you know, in a in a line at, at, at the store when it's not moving fast enough and I start getting anxious. Well, can I work on it there and work with my breath? Then when you get practice that and you start, re, you know, finding a way to, to re-loop that, then you can do it in bigger situations too. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it does, it takes time, you know? Yeah. And I also think that, um, and I don't know how you feel about this, so maybe you can answer this, but for me, I think, it, it's really hard when you start focusing on a negative, right? Like you're, there's a bad habit. You don't like it. You want to change it. But instead of looking at it as like a bad habit, maybe you can find a good habit to replace it or something good, you know, focus on something good that'll counteract what the bad does. Yes. And, and looking at it as a learning experience. Oh, okay. This is what's happening. What can I learn from this? And what other choices do I have? Yeah. And the brain, too, it does have a negative bias. So it's always looking for danger. It's So it notices now when something goes wrong in our minds, we've wired it into that's bad. It's danger. Right. And the brain's looking to keep, you know, looking to, for danger. So we immediately recognize all the things that go wrong because that's how the brain's wired. And just like you said, if I can shift it to look for something that could go well. Or that even did go well, you know, maybe I had the bad habit, but it, but I did something a little better. I noticed it. I was aware of it this time. That's an improvement, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I use that a lot in riding. I will say, um, you know, so kid, some, a rider jumps a course of jumps and he, you, they'll immediately like be focused on the one distance that they didn't do well. And I'll say, tell me what you liked about that. Oh, mm -hmm. I, nothing. And I'll be, no, tell me your favorite part. Mm -hmm. Well, there isn't anything. Tell me the best part because there's always the best part of something. And they, some people may struggle, but then they start finding that 
So then they can start changing those habits too, because they look at what's working and can replace what isn't working with what is. So that's very similar mm -hmm. to what you just said, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Are there different types of mindsets and do they have different characteristics? Well, there's a, uh, Carol Dweck um, is a researcher, psychiatrist, and she's uh, coined the terms fixed and growth mindsets. And um, so, you know, there's lots of different ways, probably di different people talk about mindsets, but those are really two um, very commonly thought of. And the fixed mindset is um, someone who really records their levels of ability and feels they're fixed. Like, yeah, I'm an A student. Um, and I need to get A's all the time. And if I don't, there's something wrong with me. So they really base things on <clears throat> a struggle with failure uh, and kind of base it on, you know, getting grades, getting blue ribbons, getting, you know, you know, whether it's in work, you know, getting the best, whatever. Um, and then there's the growth mindset where people realize that talents and abilities aren't fixed and they can improve and grow. And they look at failure as opportunities and mistakes as opportunities to grow mm -hmm. and learn. And, you know, I use the analogy of, um, like, say you can be the, the um, valedictorian in your high school and go to college, a good college, with a whole lot of valedictorians. Well, all of a sudden, you may not be the top of the class anymore someone with a fixed mindset may really struggle with that and think what's wrong with me. I'm not doing well, you know, whatever. Someone with a growth mindset will think, well, here's my challenge to learn more and do better and, and improve. Um, same with going to horse show, small horse show, blue ribbons, big horse show, no ribbons. You know, I'm at the big horse show, no ribbons. Am I going to blame the judge or blame whatever, or am I going to look and learn and, and think, wow, what an opportunity I have to be at this place to learn, you know, learn. Um, and, and the same with business, right? Um, if you have mistakes, um, someone with a fixed mindset in business will say, and, and um, I'm never going to put this out on social media. I have this thing I'm working on. My website isn't perfect yet. I can't, I have to be perfect. I'm not going to put it out there until it's perfect. Someone with a growth mindset is, will put it out there and say, all right, I'm going to put it out there. And as I go, I'll learn and change things as I go and, and, and improve. Because if I never get it out there, I'm never going to get my business going or whatever it is I want to get started. Yeah. And have you found that people can shift from one to the other? Yeah. Yeah. In the same way, right? And changing habits. It really is. Mm -hmm. It's a fixed mindset is a limiting belief. And it's stuff we, all these things are things we learn through life. We aren't, you know, they aren't things that we are. They are just things we've taken on. So okay. once we, if you recognize them and are willing to, you know, open up and recognize them. And if usually it happens when you've had enough struggle that you realize you got to do something to change it. Like it's not working yeah. that, um, yes, it can, you know, and then again, through the mindfulness and, and just the same thing of just changing that habit loop. I think a lot of people... Uh, like to say what their identity is or say what they are and, you know, what am I? I'm a type A person. Uh, not me personally. I'm definitely not a type A person. <laughs> Either. But, you know, there are people who who use that as a way to kind of, I feel like, prop up who they are and what they do and would find it very difficult to kind of lose that identity even though you're saying it's a mindset, I think people take that mindset and use it as, uh, as, as saying who they are. And, and um, that's why I think some people would be resistant to changing that fixed mindset. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, go, go ahead. And I was just going to ask, you know, how quickly you find that, you know, people in situations like that can change and, yeah. Does it take, like you said, getting to a certain point of being, I don't know, frustrated or fed up? Um, and it, like, is it one big event or, you know, maybe a series of things where people 
come to the realization that they need to have more of a growth mindset? It's all of the above. You know, mm. I would say um, some people come to it pretty quickly. Um, I think somebody who's, it's not necessarily, it can be type A or just somebody who's, you know, somebody can be type A and kind of, it depends on how you describe type A. But <laughs> anybody, you know, somebody who's really fixed in their thinking and driven and, and stuff, um, that will take time. And maybe they never will come to it. Not everybody's mm-hmm. going to come to doing it, you know. And and I, I've had that when I work with people. I can't force them to do it, you know. They have to want to come to that and make the change and take the time and go through the struggles with it. Um, so not everybody's going to come to it. And often it something happens in life that throws you into looking for something to get you through it. Um, you know, I've had that in my life where just life was really turned upside down and I needed it. I knew it was time to make some changes. Um, and that's how I got into the mindfulness the practice mm-hmm. and it helped me through it. Um, and I was in a place where I, you know, got into counseling and stuff too. And my counselor was a mindfulness practitioner as well. So it kind of really worked well together. Um, and it's really helped me. I mean, I, I got through that and other times in my life, but I had to get to a point where it's like, wow, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty open-minded person. So I'm more open to that, but I had to get to a point where it's like, it's time to make some changes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and things that happen to you in life aren't necessarily because of anything you did, but that life happens. And then you've got to see how you work with it and manage it, you know, and that's yeah. where really mindfulness can really help. Yeah. I I had melanoma cancer over 10 years ago and that's kind of when I started to become more aware and and the positive thinking came in and you know I I started out with the book the secret and kind of it snowballed mm-hmm. from there right and so I practiced a lot of gratitude and then I did I read Carol Dweck's book and that really got me thinking about mindset and and the fixed. And I don't know, I I really enjoyed her work because I think that I'm not a parent, but I feel like a lot of parents should Should read read it it because I feel like um, we don't always necessarily think about how we're talking to our, to the kids and, and you know, how that's actually affecting them, whether they're having a growth mindset or a fixed mindset and how they're growing up. (laughs) And (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that it's still a, a process for me. Um, I find myself going up and down where, you know, I don't think I'm, I don't know that I will ever get to the point where I'm completely mindful and, you know, don't fall into negative patterns or habits. And I think it's a process. And I think that, you know, for me, it's, it, it's not like a one fell swoop, like that started my awareness and awakening, but it's a journey. It's continuing constantly. It is. And it's a journey for everyone, even the most practiced mindfulness practitioners. And they, they talk about beginner's mind where the, you know, the masters have a beginner's mind. They, you know, and if you think about it with writing, you know, the the, the people, or not just in writing, a lot of the people who kind of get some knowledge about something. Oh, I got this. I'm, I've got this, you know, and the beginners in the, and, you know, if you think about a beginner, they're open to learning everything. And then the master comes around and is like the beginner going, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have this down perfectly and I'm still learning. And yeah, and it's a process. And um, John Kabat-Zinn um, says you, can, um, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. So things will still come and still mm-hmm. happen. And, mm-hmm. and it's just learning. You get a little better at surfing them. So, you know, I, I've had some, I can get anxious and have some anxiety and, and, you know, you shared about your, your cancer I had, and you may remember when the student at Morrisville died mm-hmm. in an accident. She was yes. my student. It wasn't oh, yeah. my fault. I wasn't mm-hmm. even there. Right. That was the, the, the event that started me a year later having some PTSD around it. And I really mm-hmm. struggled with going back into, even though it didn't happen in a riding lesson, it was an accident. It was proven to be an accident. It was just happened. Right. I had a hard time feeling, you know, I had to take responsibility for all these students. It was really 
tough. And there was a time I wanted to give up. And I remember just staring at the wall, you know, functioning. I was very functional, mm -hmm. I, but not doing it well. And that's when I went and, and, and said, I have to do something here. Mm -hmm. You know, so it is sometimes, like you said, like you're having cancer or something big that yeah. knocks us for a loop and says, I need something different to help me get through this. You know? Yeah. So it was, a, uh, it was a terrible time, but it, a lot of good stuff came out of it. Yeah. And I always feel like you're like, I like to say I'm either surviving or I'm thriving because it is, it's like a wave. It's an, you know, always an up and down and, you know, you just have to deal with it. Yep. And some days are better than others, but it's, you just learn to, um, you know, like I said, even working with, say, doing this interview, uh, you know, before I started my mindfulness practice, even before even a couple of year, a year or two ago, I would have been way more nervous and worried and anxious about it because it's something mm -hmm. I have a little bit of that imposter syndrome. Thing, which I think a lot of people in business do, particularly with social media and all that stuff nowadays, having to be out in front of people. And um, it just really has helped me now that I can just sit and go, okay, that's what's going on. I see it. And then it stops going. It stops spinning. Yeah. yeah. And then you get back to work. Yeah. yeah. So can we talk a little bit about people working through their fear and anxiety? Yeah. Well, understanding fear um, is, you know, fear is there for a purpose. It's, it serves a purpose. It keeps us safe. Our brain is wired to look for dangerous things. Um, so fear is really something that we need. Um, so people think of talk about being fearless and you really don't want to be fearless. You want to have fear. You want to be enough to be safe. Um, but then when fear, and that's where you kind of can using the mindfulness practice, when fear starts going out of control, even not necessarily going into anxiety, but it starts, you're like, eh, you know, thanks for me in the mindfulness practice. You almost, you friend your befriend your fear and say, you know, thanks for being here. I need, you know, thank, I, I know I need you sometimes, but right now I don't need you. So it's being very aware of feeling fear and saying, yep, I know you serve me at times, but right now it's this, this thing isn't, you know, I'm not in physical danger. I'm not in, you know, I'm okay. Um, what happens with anxieties is fear kind of going out of control. And, and with fear, we have emotion, we have um, our sympathetic nervous system, you know, goes into action and we a lot of you know your body physiological changes happen heart rate goes up and one thing that really happens is it your subconscious brain takes over and your conscious brain kind of goes offline so if you'll think about it when you're in a fearful state it's like you know why can't why can't i think why am i not you know and i was even thinking say if, say when you're doing an interview or a, or doing a presentation or in front of people if you're in that fearful state all of a sudden you can't remember what you were going to talk about right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then you're like what's wrong with me well my brain's gone offline because it's doing what it's supposed to do in a fearful state because it needs to be automatic and it needs to, to keep you safe um anxiety is has the same thing but it's just kind of it's in Fear is more like physical fear, real danger, real, you know, real, real things that could get you can get in trouble with. Anxiety is more around emotional fears and and not necessarily real things and maybe stories we take, you know, we build in our heads about things. Um, and it keeps that loop, that have a loop, like we we're talking earlier, just keeps going and going and going, and we can't stop it. And it's just, you know, more worry builds on more worry. And and then there's actual anxiety disorders. And if somebody has anxiety where it's really struggle with it all the time, I highly recommend uh, getting a counselor or working with them because they can really help you through that. But we all get anxious at times. And when you can feel that going, it going back to the mindfulness practices and, you know, the, those three steps of, oh, yep, here I am, here I go again, being anxious, being, worrying about whatever. And then, you know, well, how is this serving me? And I'm not getting a lot out of it. What are some choices? that I can do? What are some options that I can have that would be more positive? And again, it takes work and in the ang you know, that feeling of anxiety, it can just be so overwhelming that it's hard to, to work with. But again, if you can do it in small bits and small places, and then you can start handling it better. But if it, if it is really overwhelming, I, I highly recommend getting someone to work with to help you with it. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and I think anxiety and fear also come with um, the opposite, which is confidence, right? Mm-hmm. And people having confidence. And when you're confident in what you are doing, you can usually put your fear to rest. I'm not sure about all the anxiety around it, but, you know, can you talk a little bit about confidence? people having confidence. I mean, it's something we run into all the time on the podcast is, is how can women become more confident in what they're doing? Well, <clears throat> confident itself, I, I, I talk about this, that, you know, people talk a lot in like writing too, and in business about being more confident. And confidence is lack of it is like more of a symptom of other things. So it could be a symptom of many limiting beliefs, you know, like I'm not, um, you know, I need to be perfect. And if I'm not perfect, then I lose confidence. I need, you know, I worry about others judging me, you know, all those, it could be, can be really a symptom of whatever limiting belief. So to build more confidence, kind of have to dig in. And that's again, where mindfulness can help is really be start being aware of what's going on. What's, you know, peel away the layers, like what's going on that's causing this lack of confidence. Where is this coming from? And again, doing it without judgment. So when you can kind of dig down and figure that out, then you can work with that area and say, notice, oh, you know, I lose my confidence when I've, when I've made a mistake. I really just go off the rails. So now how can I work with you know, building up in my mind that mistakes are okay and I can learn from them? Or I really lose confidence when somebody's watching me or listening to me or I have to go online for my business and do more social media Post, but I'm not confident about it, you know, that it's people watching me, you know, what is it about? And then digging in and then working with those areas. So it's kind of figuring out what's causing it and then putting into those practices of working with those areas. And then just uh, small bites, getting out there and doing it, you know, whatever, it, whatever, you know, wherever you're lacking confidence is taking small steps you know, and then just building a little bit at a time. Sometimes people want so much to happen at once. If you can just break things down into small bites and do a little bit at a time, you'll slowly, you know, grow that confidence. Yeah. And do you think there's a, a difference between people having confidence and people being like arrogant and egotistical and where that comes from? Yes, very much so. Um, someone who's confident is not looking to, um, they're, con- they're calm in themselves. They're at peace with themselves. Um, they're looking to build others up around them. And there's an energy around them that kind of others uh, kind of seek. And, 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 you know, they they just, you know, there's a peace around that Someone who's confident just rallies others. Where someone who's, who's, you know, got a big ego or gets kind of arrogant really isn't probably confident. There's probably some limiting belief that they're trying to bolster themselves. That's how they show their lack of confidence. It's almost their fear, right? That's them showing their fear. That's fear, fear driven. Yes. Yes. And, and failure driven. So someone that way would be someone who has um, a fixed mindset, right? You talked Mm -hmm. earlier about that idea of, you know, that type A or that personality where they're really out there and you really feel like in, in, and I often look at people like that. I'm like, man, I wish I had that confidence. And then I realize sometimes they're not so confident. It depends on the person. Somebody else can be out there and really, really outgoing, but they're very calm about it. And they're very, and they're not trying to prove any anything. You know, they're just calm with who they are. Someone who's, who's uh, you know, has an arrogance or driven by ego is looking to bring other people's down so they can build themselves up. Um, you know, really get again ca- caught up in mistakes. So it's, it's um, it's it's totally different. And and it, again, I would say there's they have their limiting beliefs that are causing that. You know, it's just a different symptom. It shows up in a different way. Yeah. And you've mentioned limiting beliefs a few times. Can you expand on those a little more and um, what they are and how they hold people back? Um. And- Limiting beliefs are things we all have at one level or another. Um, some of us have less and have worked with them and are, they're maybe quite so, so bad, but there are things just that we've taken on in life. So you talked about, you know, parents being careful about what they say to their, their children or how they say things. Often it's done. People do it with good intentions. 
but you know, maybe it's about coming home with A's. And if you didn't come home with an A and you didn't do things perfectly, the intention is I want you to do really well. But the belief comes on that if I don't do this well, and if I make a mistake, something's wrong with me. So that would be, you know, how limiting beliefs we get from society. You know, we can get lots of limiting beliefs by sitting on watching social media enough that, oh my gosh, I'm not as pretty as that one or whatever. And because everything's so, you know, Photoshop and everything's, you know, people say, I, I laugh, people say to me, you know, because I put a lot of things on my, my cooking and this and that. They say, Lisa, you eat really healthy. I'm like, it's only because I show you. Yeah. They're really healthy foods. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So when we're on social media, it's really easy to think, oh, I'm not as good as that person doing that or whatever. Um, yeah. So limiting beliefs are just things we take on. It can be, I need to be perfect. It can be, um, feeling, feeling of not being worthy of, you know, um, feelings of shame, um, worrying about others, what others think of them. You know, it, it, there's, you know, the list can go on and on and on, uh, needing to be in control all the time, um, afraid of change, someone who's just really afraid of change. So there's a lot of different, different limiting beliefs. Um, and again, um, they come up a lot in business and they keep us, you know, like we talked about a little bit, um, I, I, interestingly, I was on, a, um, uh, zoom call the other day and someone did a presentation, really nice presentation, new business talking about it. And she said, yeah, I'm just not really good with social media. So I'm really glad for this organization because I, I've really gotten to, you know, be able to network with people and stuff. So later I said to her, I said, you know, it's great that you're networking and all that. And you said, you're not good with social media, but just get out there and do it because it can really help you in your business as well. <clears throat> and, and she, you know, and she agreed. So that's a little bit of a living belief, right? I'm not good with this. So then I don't try it. Well, yeah. I'm certainly not going to get any better if I don't get out there and try it. Mm -hmm. um, so to, the limiting belief, just kind of trying new things. Like I'm afraid of trying new things. I'm not, you know, so it can really get in our way of, of moving, moving forward. Are there, like, how do you feel people can address them and move past them? Well, there are habits, right? Mm -hmm. So I have a habit. I make a mistake. You know, I, you know I, I feel I need to do things perfectly. I make a mistake. My habit, there's the trigger, the mistake, right? The, uh, the behavior is whatever you may do. You get frustrated. You get upset. You can't function. You get angry. You get just whatever. And the result is you don't grow. You don't learn. You don't move forward. So mm -hmm. it's the same thing of working with that, you know, all right, I, I've made this mistake. Um, um, what can I learn from it? You know, trying to change that and shift that. You know, but again, going through all those steps of awareness without judgment and just trying to shift that lots of you know curiosity of like what's going on um say if you're um worried about people watching you know really kind of being well how does that you know how does that say in business how does that get in my way gosh i can't even get on social media because i'm it, it really you know uh, i get so nervous about it well what does that get me well i don't I'm not growing my business as much as i like to and i'm you know and and my business really needs that social media exposure. Uh, mm -hmm. So, okay, then I need to practice. Can I find little ways of doing it? But it's all that same. It's just changing a habit. You've had, got a habit of this limiting a belief, you know, being mindful, noticing, um, being really present with how it affects you, and then trying to figure out how you can shift it to the brain noticing a better reward and, and putting that into practice. Okay. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good way um, that people can kind of take action for their changes. Right. Yes. Yes. And, and um, what's the, what's one of the best tips that you have for people? Like, what do you think is the most important thing for them to make the change? To, to make creating change? change? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Having a, um, I would say having a plan, um, because I know I've made a lot of changes in my life, like career ones and stuff. And often earlier on, 
it was, yes, I needed to make a change, but I didn't really see having a plan and being like really tapping into what's going on and why is the change needed and where are you going to, where are you going to, not where you're leaving from, but Mm -hmm. where are you going to, what does that look like? And many times I left things that weren't right for me anymore. They weren't necessarily bad places or things, but they weren't right for me anymore, but I never really figured out where it was I was going. And it wasn't until I decided to retire from Morrisville that I created this plan because I had more mindfulness practice of going, you know, and really worked with a coach and really worked and had a plan as to where I wanted to go and really understood what it was that was that I wanted to make around the change. So I think really understanding where, what it is you want to go to. Um, And then there's again, research around like an emotional cycle of change to understand that the first part of the cycle is you're really optimistic and, 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 Everybody listening is going to go, yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Get really excited about the change. I'm going to do this. I've got this. And then it gets to be a little tough. And they say that's uninformed um, pessimism. Like, wow, I didn't realize this was going to be this hard. And then that's kind of the place where people stop doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's when you kind of have to keep working, you know, say this is part of a cycle. So all these things like learning about the brain, how it works, learning, you know, learning about, oh, this is a way our brain works and change. It, it kind of is a very freeing because you're like, oh, I'm just in that part of the cycle now. So if I can sit with this and know that I can work through it, that eventually this will get better. It'll get easier. Mm-hmm. And that's where they talk about informed um, um, optimism, where you're like, uh, the first part is uninformed optimism. This is informed, like, now I know where I'm at. I'm, I'm making changes. It's working. But to be able to get through that tough part in the middle and just know if you can say, and the same thing with the way the brain works, oh, my brain's automated to do this. There's nothing wrong with me. This is just something that it does. I have the ability. I have the freedom to create these these changes if I can rewire my brain. And I know that there's going to be some struggle making those changes, some tough spots, but it can happen. Yeah. Great. Well, at the end of every episode, uh, we ask the same three questions for each of our guests. uh, And Connor starts with the first question. Uh, So what is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? Uh, Great question. I would say, and I know people hear about this all the time, and I would say this is, needs to really be in a holistic way, is self-care. And, you know, business women, they're always, they're, you know, often they have families, they're taking care of everybody else, they're taking care of their business, or, you know, what horse people are going, horse horse professionals particularly, mm-hmm. they, they don't even know what the word self-care is. <laughs> um and they're going, 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 and everything else, the horses and everything has to be taken care of. So self-care around, you know, all parts of it, you know, your mental self, your physical self, your spiritual self, you know, really a holistic approach. Um, and doing it, you know, even though people are very busy finding small bites of it, it will help. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really important. And dropping the guilt surrounding taking that time yes. for it. Yes. Yes. Thank you for saying that because yes, because the benefits of the self-care, you'll be better at everything you do Mm. when you're just a healthier, better self. You'll be better for everyone around you and you'll be better for everything um, you do. So uh, at everything you do. So it's Mm -hmm. it's definitely worth, um, it's definitely very important to do. And what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? Um. My getting out into nature and walking. Yep. That's a good one. And uh, what's your favorite horse movie? <laughs> I'm going to date myself with that. Um, there's probably two. The Horse in the Gray Flannel Suit. I don't know if either of mm-hmm. you have seen it. Okay. I've seen it, yeah. Okay. And The Miracle of the White Stallions. So this really dates me because I saw them when they first came out. <laughs> there you go. Yep. <laughs> so, I, yeah. And... um I just really remember them, you know, and I think the horse with the gray field suit was the one, you know, I was learning to write English and doing all that and watching them, you know, she used to go to the shows at Madison square garden. So seeing, you know, that all, all that, that was kind of, you know, even though it was 
not realistic necessarily, but it was 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 cool. So that helped. Yeah. Then, the other one was just I don't know. That was real. I love even though it's not totally historical. Love learning about that. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking with us today, and um, you know, giving such great advice on how people can make a change in their lives and and um, and be more mindful and and be better personally and in their business. Well, thank you. It was great to be here. Thanks so much. Yeah. I am a real mindfulness nerd. So I was kind of (laughs) geeking out through this whole thing because I couldn't believe she was talking about Carol Dweck because I read that (laughs) book and I was like, yes, I read that lady. I read that author's book and she was amazing. And um, I don't know. I just, like I said, when I had the melanoma cancer and, you know, I had to go to Sloan Kettering for the surgery and everything. So it was a pretty big deal to me. It really started me in my life thinking about like positivity and and what am I doing and how am I thinking that is affecting the way I'm living really Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so all of this has kind of helped me um and like I mentioned it is a struggle every day to make sure that I'm being mindful but um I do think that it has helped me tremendous me tremendously in my life and gotten me past a lot of hard spots. Mm -hmm. No, that's great to hear. And I'm, I'm so happy for you that you've, you know, found that it works for you. And I think the way that Lisa presented it was a really digestible way to understand why you do the things you do and how to take steps towards changing um, your mindset because, you know, especially over the past two years and how hard it's been for everyone dealing with, you know, all of their personal problems on top of all of the world's problems. Um, I think everyone could gain something from this, you know, whether they make it a daily practice like you do, or even if they just, you know, have the awareness of it in order to help themselves through difficult points in their lives. Um, I think it can be really useful and in business too. I think most people think that, you know, meditation is just for personal. um, But I do think, you know, the more you make those changes and increase awareness, maybe starting personally, but it branches out and it can affect all areas of your life. Yeah. And I think that one of the topics that we talked about with the fixed and the growth mindset really relates to business and how you run your business and taking a look at, you know, are you set in your ways and do you have these beliefs that are set in the way you're running your business or are you open to exploring new opportunities or other ways to do things Mm -hmm. um, to to make it uh, grow? And and to run your business, you know? For sure. Because, you know, I think in this day and age, it's really hard to just do one thing and think that you're going to do that one way for the rest of your life, you know? Yeah. It's got to be, you know, you've got to be open to, like we've said, open to opportunities and, um, and maybe you know, the mindfulness plays into that by giving you that mindset to recognize opportunities and then, um, you know, take advantage of them. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny because the last podcast, we kind of talked about that, right? With mm-hmm. um, Kylie talking about how she, you know, one of her biggest habits or, you know, what made a difference to her was like looking for the opportunity and taking it. So Mm -hmm. it's just, I think it's fun to see how a lot of times our podcasts kind of um, run, they have similar themes throughout them and and can connect. (laughs) For sure. I I definitely see that. And, um, and it's cool to hear people's stories on on how they do that. And, um, but I think this is a topic that, you know, we can explore more in the future, because I think, you know, this was a great start and there's more to it and mm-hmm. um and more we could talk about. Yeah, Lisa was great. I'm I'm glad that we were able to connect and have her on. Find the links 
to today's guest and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. You can find out more at eqbusinesswomen.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now go be mindful.